Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und welcome to Gegenpressing, die Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm Manu Veth, he's Stefan Bienkowski, first of all, Stefan, how's it going? How's your travels? Ben, I know it's been a little bit of a longer one. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy weekend. I think I spent on total maybe 26 hours in Germany. Hmm. Uh, I was actually quite proud of how um, efficient I was, but it was nice to get to the game. Even though the contest on the pitch wasn't much, it was great to catch up hmm. with some old faces, one of which uh, is joining us today. Yeah, and I'm really excited about that. Um, someone both of us um, know quite well, Matt Ford from Deutsche Welle. Matt, um, first of all, very pleased to welcome you on the show. How's it going? Yeah, cheers. Good evening, lads. Uh, thanks for the invitation. And um, yeah, it's going well. I also made it back, made it back from Munich. Um, yeah, had a few transport issues similar to uh, similar to Stefan. So um, it's certainly been an eventful weekend for all of us on and off the pitch, hasn't it? I, yeah. I think that's the dangers of dealing with Deutsche, Deutsche Bahn there, uh, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like like we were saying at the game, you won't hear any, I won't hear a bad word about Deutsche Bahn from two Brits, I'll put it that way, but... Yeah, we'll leave that to the Germans. Yeah, you, cer you certainly don't get a free coffee when uh, when Northern Rail goes wrong in Manchester. So there you go. Even the even the delay was uh, was enjoyable. <laughs> Although yeah. I doubt Stefan would call it coffee. <laughs> yeah, well, that's oh my god. Do you know what? I don't think I've ever said a more controversial thing on Twitter. Do you know what's really weird? It wasn't even any Germans who kicked off about this. So I said on Twitter that you know G Germany just can't do coffee. But it was quite a lot of like people who've lived in Germany who who aren't there. I think there's one American guy, one Indian guy, maybe a guy from the UK, like saying, what are you talking about? The coffee's great. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The coffee is not great. <laughs> I do so, have questions on how you drink your coffee though, Stefan, because like... I'll tell you how I drink my coffee. I grind fresh coffee beans every yeah. morning and then I put it in a French press and okay. then I drink it with some hot water and a dash of milk, like any, mm. like any real coffee connoisseur. Um, okay. But I, I can see why you don't like the coffee then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really odd. It's really odd. But it was uh, like, if that's the most controversial thing I had to say on Twitter the weekend, I'll, t I'll chalk that up as a win. Oh, okay. Well, we'll, we'll have we we'll have to go to our break uh, because we're obliged to. And then I'm sure you can say plenty of other controversial things on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get to that right after this break. This episode of the Gig Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your college basketball betting this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. Updated odds for everything from live games, the conference championship, right through the Final Four and Championship game. BetOnline is your college basketball headquarters this season. Head to the website today 
or use the mobile device to sign up and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use your promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. So yeah, um, let's start with the classic here. And I might say something pretty controversial, right, to start with. Something that might be even more controversial than, than Stefan's coffee takes. Um, and people will be maybe a little confused about what I'm going to say at right off the bat. I actually think that Dortmund did not play a terrible game in Munich. Now, let me get to why I think that. And then we can discuss it all around. I think for... There was a lot of spells in there where Dortmund actually looked quite good. Unfortunately, there was also a spell, and they have this every time they come to the Allianz Arena, and that was right after Gregor Kubel. It's blunder, huge mistake that led to the 1-0, and then the absolute, well, the best way to describe it is deflation, um, where within a span of 20 minutes, Borussia Dortmund were smashed by, by Bayern Munich and effectively lost that match that way. And unfortunately, this happens every time that they're there. And it is, I think what really disappointed me about all of this is sort of the reaction that Dortmund had to a mistake like that. And they always seem to falter the first, every time they face adversity in Munich, they seem to just falter. They just don't seem to deal with it. It's sort of like you can see the entire team's shoulders just drop, the heads drop, um, and just not being able to cope. And I know both you, Stefan and Matt, you were both there. Um, and I'm really curious what you what you make of the thought, because I think for a good 40 to 50 minutes, Dortmund were actually quite good, but they just gave it all away in that really quick spell. Maybe Matt, because you're the guest, I'm going to let you go first. But what's your thoughts on all of that? Um, I think if you've been really, really kind to both yourself and Borussia Dortmund, you could maybe scrape together 40 minutes of, mm. of half-decent performance, like you said. Mm. Um, obviously, those thir- the, the, the opening 13 minutes yeah. would obviously be included. Um, Dortmund were, were by far the better team. Um, really nice move before the Gregor Kobel era, I think involving uh, Marius Wolf and, and Marco Reus. I think it was Delict who got in with a, a last ditch mm-hmm. last ditch tackle. Um, I believe was there also a chance for Guerrero or half chance slightly shortly after that. Um, Dortmund looked good. Um, the the away end was was bouncing. It was loud and everything that we'd heard about. Well, particularly from the uh, director of sport, uh, Sebastian Kehl, saying that Dortmund were going to be travelling to Munich with with courage, with uh, with intent and with belief. Mm. Uh, for 13 minutes, it was absolutely there. I thought we had a game on our hands. Uh, and then obviously uh, what, what happened, happened. Um, we've, we've still got to make up another 27 minutes of good performance, haven't we, if we're going to make your 40? <laughs> um, I think potentially 12, in, in the second half, I thought Daniel Marlon had a half-decent cameo. Um, I've not been overly impressed with him um, over the course of the season, to be honest. Um, I think he has been getting incrementally better, mm. uh, but I do think his—I uh, do think he was a, a slightly brighter spark for 
uh, for, for Dortmund in the in in the you know, later in the second half. By which point, though, you have the massive caveat that the game was won for, yeah. for Bayern Munich. They were four and looked. It could easily have been six or seven by that point. Um, do we come? Does that does that make it forty minutes of good performance? Can we can we compromise on on 30, 32 minutes of half decent performance? Ten minutes before the half where they were quite good too. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, look, you're you're kind of clutching at straws no matter what. I mean, I, th- I think I, th- I, th- I think you make a very good point. Trying to be kind. Yeah, I mean, we don't. It doesn't. We don't have to literally count up to forty to say that. Yeah, Dortmund were they they were undoubtedly very good at the start of the game, mm. um, and I think up until. I mean, I was near enough live tweeting it in the first opening moments of the game, and I think it wasn't until the Emery Chan uh, yellow card that yeah. Bayern even managed a ch- even managed a moment to kind of compose themselves. Um, and yeah, they, I mean, Dortmund looked composed. They looked they looked um, really determined, and they looked like they're ready to take the game to to Bayern. I thought Julian Brandt had some lovely touches and flicks in the opening moments of the game, and I thought. Well, this could be a game changer because you know not only is Brand coming back from injury, but he look he seems to be match seems to be match sharp rather and fit, and he was quite happy to go toe to toe with Alfonso Davies, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and him and Marius Wolf were having a great time down that right flank, but mm. um, and yeah, you guys are totally right about like the way that Dortmund kind of crept back into it towards the end of the game and I think Tuchel actually made a point of that as well mm-hmm. in his post-match interview and I think I think there is actually something quite interesting to note from that because I mean this is a really weird weird way to start analysing the game by you know, starting with the final 18 minutes of it or something but I think I think there's definitely a case to be said that yeah Dortmund played okay in parts of the game, but I think you could certainly make an argument that that Bayern weren't even particularly good for most of the game. Yeah. Um, you know, I think obviously the opening goal was a complete calamity from Cabell, and the second goal was, in my opinion, just really dreadful defending from. I think it was Schlotterbeck who was marking uh, Delict. I've got it. Um, I've actually got the highlights in front of me, and I just wanted to double check this before. Um, it was either Sule or Schlotterbeck. It was number four for Dortmund, who I think is Schlotterbeck. Let me. Just, I'm just. I'm yeah, literally number... just double checking here. Number four, yeah, Schlotterbeck. So yeah, yeah, yeah uh, Schlotterbeck. Schlotterbeck got caught underneath the licked, um, and you know, and then Thomas Müller did what Thomas Müller does, and you know, and then obviously the third. Although goal... Brand completely leaves him alone, like Brand should completely leaves Müller unmarked there. He just stands next to him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I actually thought there was a slight. There was actually a slight, slight irony. I thought in the the way those two, those first two goals came about. In the I mean, like you were saying, Stefan, there is a slight argument to be had that that Bayern themselves didn't actually play as well as as, yeah. as we know they can. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. Obviously, um, Thomas Hupel only had or well, barely one training session with his mm. with his team. Um, so that, that that's all fair enough. But obviously, the the build of the first goal it comes from a an absolutely terrible. Pass mm. from Diogo Pomacano. It's it's overhit. It's aimless. It it's completely unimaginative. Mm. Um, and yet somehow it's ended up rolling into the back of the net. <laughs> Similarly with the second goal, yeah. um, uh, Matthias De Ligt, it, It's effectively a free header, mm. and he's 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 put it wide. He's put that header a good a good yard wide. Yeah. 
and obviously Thomas Muller has been uh, been in his put fans of in the, in the right space as he as he so brilliantly and so often does. Um, so yeah, even a, uh, an argument to say that even those two buying goals were actually weren't even particularly well uh, weren't particularly well yeah well um, well well prepared. And the, I mean Thomas Muller's goal he hit it, it, he doesn't even tap it in it hits off his uh, like yeah. well, it looks like it hits off his hip. It hits him um, by accident almost. Yeah. And like then, he's just there like. Yeah, and I was saying to someone after the game, actually, I was kind of watching back Leroy Sani's shot, at least the third goal, and I'm not even sure if that's actually on target. It looked like it was maybe going wide. Um, which, and like, mm. I, I know Cobell, I mean, and I think it's really, I mean, I, I kind of tweeted this after the game, um, and I think a lot of people made a point of it that, you know, Gregor Cobell was very mature and he was very courageous in the way he came out and spoke to the media after the game, and, you know, he talked about the first goal. He did kind of say that he didn't think he did anything wrong for the third goal, which... I'm not entirely sure I agree with, to be honest. Um, no. I mean, Manu, you're 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 a card-carrying member that's of the his. goalkeeping. That's uh, his. That's his. It's it's strong criticism, this though. Yeah, no, Definitely. but like honestly, that's his. Like, <laughs> so you're saying? Okay, let's you're say, saying let's say it does go wide and he goes for it. That's fine, but then he has to have it. Are you so hold on? Let me off him. Let me let me just get this straight. Are you Manu saying that he should have done better there, or that we're being yeah. unfair? Okay. No, no, that's his. That's that that goal is he had that's that's chalked up as a goalie mistake. Look, if you go down like that, um, and if you if the ball bounces off you, that's bad already. But like, if it does need to bounce off you, it shouldn't bounce forward. It should always bounce sideways, ideally um, away from the goal. Right. Um, that if you go for that ball, let's say I'm not sure it has gone, it would have gone wide. And that's as a goalkeeper, you, you were supposed to go for it rather than trust that it goes wide. Right. Mm. Um, but like if, yeah, it shouldn't bounce off you. Um, I think if you've been, if you are being overly critical, I, I, I think it's fair. Um, yeah, you, you can perhaps expect that to be. To be to, to be turned further away from the goal or, or, or around the post, but um, I think we're I think that's quite high level criticism to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it didn't make or break the game, but um, no, I mean, also, like I said, actually credit to um, credit to Muller. I know it's been said a million times. I'm, I know I'm, hmm. I'm not inventing the wheel here, but it's my my, my immediate reaction both times was it, it must be a fluke that it just keeps dropping to him, hmm. but. I mean, it's not the wizard. If when when it happens time and time again, season after season, that Thomas Muller is just constantly in the right place at the right time, then it's not yeah. a fluke. Um, and I'm I'm just reminded of that every time I, uh, I see Bayern Munich in the flesh, which admitted admittedly is a lot less than I see Borussia Dortmund. It's purely down to geography. I'm mm. not. I'm, mm. I'm based in the west of Germany, not not down south. Um, so yeah, on the occasions that I do then see Bayern Munich, it never ceases to amaze me just how how constantly yeah. and yeah um, yeah ceaselessly yeah. Müller just pops up. He, his reading of the game is absolutely second to none. And he, if it if it bounced in off his pelvis or, or or whatever part of his body it bounced off, fair play to him. Yeah, I think yeah. I think I think it's it. I mean, it is probably just a coincidence, but it feels like such a kind of delicious kind of. And maybe it's an irony or something that, you know, or just a really tasty narrative that it was Muller that kind of led the charge in Thomas Muller's first game in charge, where, you know, I, I kind of, I was quite lucky enough to cover for Andy Brasso for The Guardian this week, and I wrote the Bundesliga column, and I made the point that, you know, 
he's a player who was kind of somewhat marginalized by Nagelsmann, not entirely, you know, dropped from the team or anything, but you know, he was he 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 often was benched and then came back in and somewhat sidelined by Musiala kind of moving into that number ten role. And mm. I did speak to someone at the club after the game about, you know, what had happened with Nagelsmann and Tuchel and the point they made was look, Nagelsmann was he was mucking about with Muller. You don't you don't drop Muller at Bayern Munich. You simply don't do that. You know, uh, he no. has to he has to play every game. He is Mister Bayern, and you know, there's consequences if you try and sideline him. And that's what's ha- that's what happened with Nagelsmann. And I don't think it was a coincidence that you know, uh, Thomas Muller played like his life depended on it on Saturday. He was he was outstanding. Um, and then I, the point I kind of made in my column was that. You then draw. You could draw a very stark contrast to the way that Marco Royce um, kind of embodied this kind of really bizarre. Well, maybe not bizarre if you've been watching the Bundesliga long enough, but in 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 the moment it seemed quite bizarre, quite daunting the way that Dortmund just completely capitulated and kind of just looked like rabbits caught in the headlights in that game. Mm. And... Can we talk about that some more? Because like, I think that is like the other point that I made in, in my opening remark is, I find it unbelievable that a professional team would collapse like that in such a short time. Mm. Like, why was there no one in the Dortmund squad? And that includes uh, pretty boy Jude Bellingham, who is like, so everyone is so full of brace off. No one, no one stood up to this. Well, the entire I, team just absolutely his... collapsed. Yeah, you have to be careful here, though, Manuel. The, the 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 M the M word has been banned in in Dortmund. So I Which hope you're not. Suge- I hope you're not suggesting we talk about the uh, yeah the banned M word. The banned M word <laughs> meaning um, well meaning me- mentality. Ah, okay, mentality. Mentality. Let me ask. Let me ask you this, Matt, um, because. I know we're like on the same row, but we're a few seats apart. But did you notice? This is the first thing that I noticed when that first goal went in. The the only player who went back to Cobell to kind of, um, you know, trying to console him for what happened was Marius Wolf, and it, yeah. it really, it, yeah, it really, yeah. I found it so interesting that the rest of the team just kind of stood there with their hands on their hips, mm-hmm. almost kind of stunned mm-hmm. and stuck yeah. in place, um, where. Like we've all seen goalkeepers make massive howlers, you know, it happens from time to time. It's just and it happens at every level of the game. And in every level of the game, you usually have three or four guys, if not the whole team, going over to him, trying to reassure the keeper and say, Look, you made a mistake, but it's fine, we'll make up. And I just thought it was so interesting that as soon as that goal went in and then in fact Marco Royce basically made this point when after in the post match interview, I think it was with Sky Sports, where he said, Look, the manner in which the first goal happened and then the second goal happened straight afterwards. Hey, look, we're just human. What are we supposed to do when you go 2-0 down like that in, in Munich? And I just thought, and I kind of made this point in my Guardian article, yeah. I was like, on, it's, I know it's a really it's a really mean thing to say, but if you want to kind of chalk Thomas Muller up as Mr. FC Bayern and the guy who really represents that Mia San Mia attitude and the guy who is sitting there Every ma- before every match, singing about how Bayern Munich are the best and they're and they're number one, etc. And he really believes it. It feels to me like Marco Royce is the kind of is the kind of Dortmund version of that, where he's an extremely talented player, 
Um, mm. he, he's capable of really scoring against any team in the Bundesliga, but when it comes to these crunch games, particularly against Bayern in Munich, um, the, this Dortmund just seem to have this kind of inferiority complex. Mm. I mean, perhaps, yeah, the amount of times he's had to go through it, Marco Voice, um, yeah, perhaps there is, yeah, there's some <clears throat> some degree of understanding for that. Um, I also thought his comments after the game were quite uninspired. Mm. Um, I think you highlighted a couple, Stefan. I think the one I highlighted was just a... It, I think I even wrote that it could have been a recording. He might as well have recorded the excuses down the years and just trot them out each time it happens. Um, you know, we we played badly. We deserved to lose. That was it. Um, going back to the to the goal, I, yeah, I, I watched I watched it as well. Also found it strange that particularly given the uh, the position that Kobel found himself on. Um, in mm. <clears throat> sorry just outside the penalty area mm. that that actually made him physically closer to some of his teammates and still it was only actually it was only Marius Wolf who uh, who approached him by the time he'd got back to his goal and even then it, it was only a very sort of cursory like chest chest bump mm. sort of thing before he, he before he ran off again and I think yeah like, like we said the extent to which the shoulders dropped and the body language dropped, it was almost—it uh, was almost visible. You could visibly see all that courage and self-belief and intent from the first thirteen minutes. You could almost see it mm. leave leave those Borussia Dortmund players, mm. um, and so it, yeah, so so it so it proved to be in the ne- in, in the in the succeeding ten minutes. Um, I'd, I'm not going to put it all down to. Um, Borussia Dortmund and, uh, and some sort of weak psychological mentality. I, I think it's difficult to avoid it completely, but I, I'm still very reluctant to accuse um, any team of professional football at this level of lacking the right mentality. And I think that's, I, I really don't think that's really acceptable. Um, I, I, what was also true about those next 10 minutes where Bayern scored those, well, two, two more goals, just the aggression, the the aggression in the pressing reminded me of Bayern under Hansi Flick. They were absolutely swarming Borussia mm. Dortmund. There, there was no way out. And as good as um, as good as Julian Brandt has been this season, you know, even adding a hard work rate and a more physical side to his game, as rock solid as Jude Bellingham has been, there was there was absolutely no answer to it. They were they were absolutely swarmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yeah. That's perhaps a slightly better explanation than just um, just just mentality. Even yeah. though the questions do need to be asked, but that's typical Bayern, isn't it? I mean, mm. I I am fortunate enough to see them quite a lot live because um, where I'm based in Germany is in Munich, right? When I'm there, um, so I do go to quite a lot of their games every season. And when they smell blood in the water, they are, they are a bunch of sharks. Mm. They will go in for the kill, and whether that's Dortmund or any other team that's how they operate right and especially when they are put in a situation where the coach has just been fired um and you know quite a lot of Bayern Munich players have said that Joshua Kimmich is leading by example here right that they felt feel responsible for the firing um and I think that is maybe the other flip side of that when you talk about mentality even though Matt apparently that word is banned in Dortmund maybe they need to reintroduce (laughs) it um but Bayern Munich have that mentality that when they are with their backs to the wall and then brought brought into a situation where they can not only free themselves, but also absolutely murder their opponent, they will do it, right? 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's really tricky, obviously, to kind of apply kind of any kind of logic to something as inconceivable uh, as mentality or something. But I do just keep coming back to thinking it, it must come down to the type of players you have in that team, you know, and I think, yeah. and, 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 you know, I do feel like there's a big difference between the way Thomas Muller conducts himself and the way that Marco Royce conducts himself. Maybe it's because of the experience that they have had in their careers today that Muller has simply always got been used to winning games and he's always been used to the expectation to win games. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just ingrained in him. And similarly, Marco Royce um, has, been, has spent most of his career probably extremely frustrated with the circumstances at Dortmund. So, you know, maybe once upon a time he was this kind of hungry... Uh, you know, um, really des- desperate for success, and that's maybe been chipped away over the years. But I just, I just think if you were to swap Muller and Royce around in that game, I do wonder if the result would have been different. I, I feel like it's maybe that strong. It was, it felt that palpable to me in the stadium that day. Um, and I think it's really interesting you mentioned the Bellingham thing because I think he was really quite crucial to it as well. Um, yeah. I kind of made the point on Twitter going into the game that. Dortmund had a great opportunity to really attack Bayern in the middle of the pitch because, you know, I just feel like Kimmich and Goretzka just haven't been very good this season. Um, and they and for the first time in a long time, Dortmund had this kind of dynamic dynamic midfield of Chan, Guerrero and Bellingham. But mm-hmm. in the end, the three of them just kind of fell apart. And I don't... And I felt like in particular, Bellingham just kind of was... He, he went really notably missing in this game and yeah i kind of wrote a kind of full-time quick analysis piece for the for the sub stack and i made the point that i think a lot of dortmund's problems could have been summed up through you know what seemed to me fitness issues with gregor kobel uh sebastian haller um didn't look anywhere near match fit which as i made in the point or as i made in the article is by no means his own fault and it's something it's not something that we could we could or should criticize him for but it's a call mm. that Terzic probably should have made uh but it also felt to me like Bellingham was completely missing a yard or two in his game because it, it felt like he where he usually has the has the has the um you know the fitness capacity he has the stamina to be a box-to-box yeah. midfielder it felt to me like he spent most of this game just trying to play this kind of drifting number 10 role. And more often than not, it meant Emery Chan was running around chasing shadows. It meant Rafael Guerrero kept drifting out left because it's probably instinctive in his game, but also because Marco Royce was drifting inside and leaving a whole massive flank for no one to really step into. Um, and all of a sudden, Dortmund went from having a three-man midfield to having a one-man midfield. Um and I think mm. that played a huge part in allowing Bayern to just kind of really dominate that game. I think Emil Schaan too, taking himself out early with that yellow card, mm. really hurt Dortmund just before the the first goal, right? Mm. Um, but you mentioned Bellingham's fitness issue. Um, I think it's also telling that Schlotterbeck um, is now out with an injury. He probably shouldn't have started. And I'm going to put this to you, and then Matt, in a game like that, if you know that you sent a back and several other players aren't fit, why wouldn't you start Mats Hummels? Um, I think well, the, the answer is probably pace in, in, in one mm-hmm. word. I mean, I can only imagine that's that's Terzic's thinking there. Um, I, I don't want to look for too many excuses for 
for Borussia Dortmund's collapse because I think it happens it happens so often that it, it really is starting to become a little bit inexcusable but so many things have once again come into play this season which have affected um, Edin Terzic's preparations um, Stefan you touched on quite a few of them there you mentioned Sebastian Allaire um, obviously nobody could have uh, predicted um, and certainly no one would have would have would have in any way hoped that such a such a diagnosis would 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 happen to Sebastian Haller and that he'd have to go through what he went through, mm. and it's a it's an absolute miracle <clears throat> that he's even playing professional football so um so, so soon after that. However, you you're not on your own. <clears throat> sorry, in um in in raising doubts. <clears throat> sorry, um about his fitness. Um, I think everyone has the has the utmost respect and understanding for where he's come from, but at, at the end of the day, at some point a line is crossed where mm. we're we're working. You know, he's a professional footballer. We're working professional football. Mm. You have to perform. You have to score goals. You have to get results. And at, at what point does it become acceptable or indeed necessary to start measuring Sebastian Haller by the same standards as, as everybody else? And I, I think. That has been asked um, by, by by some colleagues of mine in, in Dortmund. Obviously, the club haven't necessarily liked hearing that. They've understandably defended Haller. That, that's also fine. Um, but I do wonder if particularly the role that was assigned to him, I think as much as it makes sense in principle, this idea of him dropping a bit deeper as a bit of a you know, as a as a pivot, as you know, he, he, the intention is for him to drop into more of a number ten role and sort of link up, link up attacks in that way, and and he has got a good touch in that sort of position. Certainly, much better than uh, than Anthony Modest. Mm. Um, I wonder if that was really the way to go about damaging Bayern Munich, given that the teams which do have joy against Bayern. Um, it's often heavily counter-attack based, mm. definitely much more heavily based on, 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 on quicker counter-attacks down the flanks, thinking in particular of uh, the relative success that Borussia Mönchengladbach have had in recent years against Bayern. They've got a pretty good record against them with the pace that the likes of Alessand Player and Marcus Turam mm. and, uh, and, and Jonas Hoffmann and, and, and others offer. Um I can think back to even this season the the goals or the equaliser that Eintracht Frankfurt scored was based on the pace of Kolo Moani. The, the, there are countless examples of Bayern getting caught out at the back for pace because neither are Pomacano and Delict, uh, neither of them are, are, are the quickest. So mm. I wonder if um, it, yeah, if, if perhaps the Terzic uh, did get it then tactically wrong by by going for that Haller pivot role rather than. Perhaps starting Marlon and, and Mukoku, although mm. even there, I totally understand why you wouldn't. You know, I've got my doubts <laughs> about both of them. I'm not sure if Marlon has offered the quality. Mm. Certainly not meriting. It was it was thirty million, wasn't it? They paid for him. Mm. Yeah, it's quite significant yeah. amount. And I also wouldn't put too too many expectations on Yusuf and Mukoku, just purely given the lad's age. Mm. Um, so mm. when you put all those things together. You, you, yeah, you do. You, you do. You do find that you know Edin Terzic is perhaps in quite an unenviable position there. Um, mm. And I, I completely agree with you because I, 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 I definitely think you're right in saying that you know Daniel Malin has had something of a renaissance in the second half of the season, but for the most part, it has come about as him playing as this kind of impact sub for Dortmund. And I think he was, and that was clearly all for all to see on Saturday when he did come on and he came up against a. A Bayern defence that was either tired or by that point 
extremely complacent because the game was finished and he had a great degree of success by just kind of just running into the gaps in that team um so but whether he could have been able to do that from from the first minute i completely agree with you that Terzic may have his doubts I think one player they probably really missed now in hindsight was probably Adeyemi because I know he isn't Mm. really a number nine per se but even just having someone like that to kind of lump the ball up to who can run onto long balls who can kind of beat the licked and uh, you know open mechanical for pace I think would have made a big difference and I think actually when we did our preview show last week one of the points I made was that I could really see like a kind of upfront duo of kind of Sebastian Haller and Adeyemi causing a lot of trouble for this Bayern team because, you know, a fully fit Haller, I think, probably has a good job or has a good chance of frustrating Upamecano in the kind of physical battle, which I think Upamecano sometimes struggles with in the sense that, not that he's not physical enough, but almost that when he does get into these kind of tussles, he overcompensates by being extra physical and that's when he gets clumsy. So I could see, I I did kind of think, well, maybe Haller could have played that role and then, of course, someone like Adeyemi could play in behind the league and that could have caused problems for Bayern. But what we instead got was what looked like extremely half-fit Sebastian Haller, which I think really puts that international break into context where... Dortmund were not happy that he, that he went off with his national team and I know he only played about 60 or 70 minutes I think but even just the fact that he had to travel and play and probably take up and um, take part in training sessions obviously had some sort of impact um, the fact that he wasn't fully fit you then had you know three players behind him if I'm not mistaken were Royce mm. Bellingham and Julian Brandt um, the Royce thing, I'm not. I don't want to go back to Royce. I'm not going to pick on him again too much again because I know we did talk about it. But putting his mentality to one side, even his role in this game was extremely confusing because he started on the left but continued to drift inside, and it was as if him and Bellingham were almost st- stepping on each other's toes. But it also then meant that Kimmich and Goretzka had so much little space to actually cover. And one thing that really stood out to me after Dor- after Bayern kind of had essentially won the game. Dortmund still really struggled to have an outball to pass to in the in the Bayern half because obviously Haller wasn't able to make the runs and Bellingham and Marco Royce were basically holding hands in between Kimmich mm. and Gretzka. And it just it just fell apart entirely, really. And that's why um Terzic obviously took the first opportunity he got in the second half by pulling Royce off. Well, I think all the things you've listed there, and I think as a sort of as a conclusion perhaps to to all that, it, it just shows the extent to which absolutely everything has to go right from the perspective of Borussia Dortmund or Ebe Leipzig or whoever it might be who's claiming to be a chance, some sort of challenger to, to Bayern Munich in any given season. Absolutely everything has to fit. Um, mm. Edin Terzic, and I do have some sympathy for him, that he's very much learning, learning on the job and he's been forced to be learning on the job and making things up as he goes along a little bit this season because of the injury. You, I totally agree about Adeyemi. He would have been a great he would have been yeah. a, um, a, a great option. However, even his narrative this season has been one of frustration. Mm. Uh, I think he got injured in the first home game and then was out for several months yeah. uh, before having to find his form again. Yeah, um, yeah m- yeah, Marlon and Makoku did offer an outlet afterwards, but yeah, as we said, far, far too late for that. You need you need all these things to come together, and um, when 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 just one of them doesn't, then the 
yeah, the, the 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 qualitative gap, which is as which is a direct result of the financial gap between the two, um, it it just becomes absolutely insurmountable. And um, yeah, I mean that's that that's what happens when um, a team the size of Bayern Munich um, wins ten titles on the bounce with the added Champions League revenue that comes with that and the ability to sell. Um, much bigger sponsorship deals and uh, boost revenue streams on a scale that even Borussia Dortmund can't can't compete with. Can I counter that real quick? Because, yeah. um, I mean, you're absolutely right about everything you say. Um, and everything has to go right for you um, to win in Munich. Yet there's plenty of other teams this year that went to Munich um, with smaller budgets than Dortmund and did a lot better. And I want to add to that as well that I think if Borussia Dortmund had lost this game 4-2, I don't think anyone would have complained. Like if just based on the result, I think, you know, if it, this would have been a 4-2 and it would have gone back and forth. So it's sort of like the game last year, right, where Haaland made, made it 2-0 really quickly. Um, mm. I think it's once again the manner. I think you can lose in Munich and that's fine. But... They, we have seen so many other teams this year go to the Allianz with a far better attitude, right? With a lot smaller budget than Dortmunds. And yet it's always Borussia Dortmund that come up with this result. I think, look, in, in football, it's quite normal that you lose at the Allianz Arena. Teams with much bigger um, budgets and revenue then Dortmund, in some cases, even maybe than Bayern, have gone to the Allianz and got smashed there. Yeah. I think for me, what bothers me the most here is that, yeah, Dortmund will say, oh, it's the money, it's the revenue, it's like we're just a smaller team. It's like, yeah, well, but because you always pointing this out is the reason why you always lose there. Mm. I you think, know what I'm getting at? Yeah, I'm sure Maha's response, but I'll jump in there too as well, just to say that I do get the impression, though, whenever this game comes along, that Bayern definitely relished beating Dortmund. And, oh, totally. totally. And I think that's an important point here because you're at, I mean, maybe <laughs> Gladbacks maybe are getting to the point where Bayern actually do have to pay attention to these fixtures when they come up. But <laughs> the likes of Frankfurt or Union Berlin or whoever else, when they when they beat Bayern, it's a complete shock because no one expected it to happen, least of all Bayern. So they get caught by surprise. But whenever Dortmund play Bayern, half the world calls it their classicer, even though it's not. And we can no. probably spend the whole episode talking about that ill-fated name and how it's actually come to kind of represent this curse that Dortmund have in the sense mm. that, you know, once upon a time, they had the audacity to be good for two or three seasons under Jurgen Klopp. And since then, Bayern have gone out of their way to put them in their box and keep them there and I think and I think that's probably going to stay the case until guys like Thomas Muller and Manuel Neuer retire and a new generation of players come through who never who never have considered Dortmund as domestic rivals you know Um, even guys like maybe like Joshua Kimmich when he steps into a more senior role when someone like Muller retires he may even now probably think well Dortmund's just Dortmund they're no better than Leipzig or anyone else mm. I mean obviously they've got the fan support they've got the stadium and they have a history which is different but in terms of a sporting threat to Bayern um, 
it's 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 maybe not and i think i think that's why i think that's why it's different i think i think Bayern do set up and make sure they don't lose to dortmund in a way that they don't with most other uh rivals in the bundesliga yeah big game by right? imagine that to an extent that that role of a, of a challenger does automatically get thrust onto borussia dortmund and again mm. i'm don't, I, I don't mean this to come across as like some some defensive or this is you know poor poor Borussia Dortmund being put into this role. Um, I, I don't want it to come across like that, but Stefan is right that they are seen as that they're seen as that they're seen as that by Bayern, which influences mm. their performance. They're seen mm. as that by the by the league, which markets this game as 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 the Classico when you know which sort of gives the impression that it's some sort of clash of equals, but it's quite simply not and. Um, um, I also think that that I don't know that potentially influences Borussia Dortmund's um, approaches to these games, and we go back to that that tactical issue I mentioned before about you know almost trying to go like for like against mm-hmm. Bayern with Haller into that pivot role, whereas perhaps say for example earlier just a few months or a couple of months ago, FC Köln went away mm-hmm. to the Allianz Arena. Um, with absolutely zero expectations, mm. however, they did have that lack of that that lack of expectation to get anything out of the game did almost give them a freedom to nail down one very very concrete plan and mm. nothing else, and that was sit back, sit behind the ball, hit him on the break, and then that's absolutely it. Nothing else is expected of us, and yeah, they got away they got away with the one one draw, and it would have been a win if it wasn't you know the, the equaliser came from a, a Joshua Kimmich screamer. So yeah. they, they almost got three points out of it. Does the context around Borussia Dortmund prevent them from going to Munich and playing like that, or playing like a like a Gladbach, or or playing like an Union mm. Berlin? Do, mm. Does that does that stop them doing it subconsciously? Well, yeah, but a, this, it wasn't a tactical issue that undid them. It was individual mistakes. And then, in, the, in in this in this case, yeah, of course yeah. it was. But I, but I do wonder in the greater scheme of things, were, were the were the tactics wrong? Yeah. As as well. Although you you're right in this particular case, of course, the actual goals came from just yeah. Because I think tactically they were actually set up really well. Offs. Yeah. Um, the start and we started in the beginning of the match, right? And it's just that, I mean, you're quite right. Like maybe that in your head is like, oh, we have to match them, and then they at the first instance where they find out that it's still not enough, they just deflate you almost have to break that mold somewhat and um it might this might surprise you to see me um sort of y- using rb leipzig as like a positive ex- <laughs> as a positive example but um particularly in their first season in the bundesliga and a, arguably a couple of times since um where yeah they where they have at least for periods of the season gone toe-to-toe with bayern yeah. but without that entire context around it um, obviously, we can all criticise them for the whatever lack of tradition and the whole the, mm. the whole thing around them. But it did allow them to go there with a completely blank slate, no expectations, and not burdened by this entire this big contextual machine and narrative that goes on around the whole thing. And that that's you know ultimately it's not helped them either. They've also not come close to challenging Bayern in, in the long term. But perhaps, but pa- they challenge perhaps them in that's what minutes. they have. They yeah, do challenge that, them in ninety minutes. They do, they do, yeah. they do, and I think that's because they, in in their own way, manage to break the mold a certain to a certain yeah. extent, which uh, which Borussia Dortmund uh, don't do. Yeah, and that's really really interesting comparison. And I mean, I think there's also a little bit, again, you can say about the construct itself, everything you want, um, but I think there's also a different mentality among Leipzig players in games like that. Um, 
you know, they're not taught, they're not necessarily held back by history, maybe. Um, oh, maybe we need a psychologist to come on here, guys. <laughs> Help us explain this. <laughs> Someone passed the psychologist number on to Borussia Dortmund as well while they're at it. You know, I'm pretty sure they're actually half of psychologists. <laughs> To Matt's point about how Dortmund get labelled as the de facto challengers, it's interesting in the sense that, you know, if you look at the teams in a division, uh, Dortmund aren't the side that just mm. won the Europa League. That's Frankfurt. And, you know, they've, I mean, obviously Frankfurt on a, on a, a trajectory, they're not nearly as big as they possibly could be. Um, but, you know, that's fine. But it's interesting that the Europa League winners yeah. aren't considered a challenger but Dortmund still are and you could even look at RB Leipzig who you know regardless of how they make their money and who or who gives it to them they probably now rival Dortmund in terms of wage budgets how much money they spend in the market uh, if not surpass them and they still don't get labeled as title challengers and you know and hopefully Dortmund fans who listen to the show mm. and are probably you know frustrated at people like us who call them challengers i think manu and i would be to our credit did say this you know when leipzig began to fall apart this season he said look if these guys if this club wants to be serious they have to if they're going to spend the money they're spending if they are comparable to dortmund in terms of the money they spend they should have to have the same expectations and you know everyone likes to laugh at dortmund because they keep slipping on the banana skin every season but mm. if, if leipzig are going to do the same thing they have to they have to get um similar critique you know so i to totally agree Stefan. i mean we're getting slightly off topic a bit but I've, it's actually been a yeah a criticism of mine among many of of rb leipzig that purely on the pitch i think for the the resources at their at their disposal and the unique situation in terms of the structure that they find mm. themselves in um i think a single german cup win on penalties is pretty is a, a pretty poor return but that's a slightly different topic <laughs> which we maybe you know but can we maybe wrap up this topic because we do also have to talk talk about the coaching change and i know the classic is the big topic and that's which is why we devoted 90 percent of this podcast to it but before we do move to the coaching change um we have to really underline here that this title race is not over because <laughs> like mm. in the end of the day it's only three points and bayern munich and i'm convinced by this guys that there is another slip up coming because mm. Thomas Tuchel is not just going to step in here now and win every single game until the end of the season. That's simply not going to happen. Um, and so I want to take this to you too as well. Do you think the title race is over? I'll, Go I'll on, Stefan, you can, you, you can start. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> well, do you know what? I do have a point to make about this because I kind of said this at the start of the show about Tuchel complaining about the way that Bayern played in the post-match and how they kind of fell up, not fell apart, but they obviously let Dortmund creep back in with two goals in the second half. And I think it's going to be really interesting to watch Bayern over the next couple of weeks because yes, they had this kind of perfect start or Tuchel had this perfect start to the league campaign against Dortmund. But you could probably make a fair case that just about anyone could have been sitting in that side sitting in that dugout that day and each of these Bayern players would have worked their socks off because you know as we've talked about already on the show that you know Bayern and every player at Bayern know that they have to win the games against Dortmund it's just ingrained in the club over the last kind of 10 years and the, and, and and the point that 
and I'm not trying to just rile up Bayern fans here, that I don't think the club or the team actually played particularly well on the day, especially in the second half. Mm. And I think that's probably something that Tuchel will probably be kind of focusing on rather than Thomas Muller scoring two goals or, you know, Upa Meccano scoring a wonder goal from his own half. I think he'll be focusing on the fact that those complacencies that led to Nagelsmann's downfall were actually still there. And... Luckily, Dortmund shot themselves in the foot before they could do anything about it. But they've got a double header now against Freiburg, who are no pushovers. Then they have Manchester City in the Champions League, who look utterly terrifying at the moment. Uh, if anyone follows the Premier League, they routinely dismantled Liverpool as if they were, you know, a League Two side in the third round of the FA Cup uh, without Erling Haaland. Uh, and then they've got a kind of, you know, a tricky run before the end of the season. So. I think Tuchel still has a lot of work to do to elevate his team beyond the kind of um, complacent side that it has been this season, which is, as you said, Manu, a team that does continue to routinely drop points. And actually, I can't remember which Dortmund player it was, or maybe it was Terzic himself who said this after the game. He said, look, um, if we do have any kind of hope to cling on to here, it's the fact that we've made up so many points on Bayern since the turn of the year. It's Bellingham. was it? Okay. Uh, and simply losing to them in this game doesn't mean we can't continue to do that. And I think that's maybe a fair point, unless Tuchel can very quickly turn things around at the club. Matt, your thoughts? Um, I, I think it's pretty impossible to judge Thomas Tuchel at the moment. Um, I think mm-hmm. everything went Bayern's way um, um, on, on, on Saturday. A lot of that is deservedly so. Like I said, I don't think Thomas yeah. Muller found getting in those positions by, by a fluke. I think they know what they're doing. Um, but Tuchel did say before the game is that he, his quote was, less is more. He had no time to make big changes. He, he's, he's not stamped his mark on this team yet. He, he'd be the first to admit that. Um, I, I don't really think we saw much of a, a Thomas Tuchel style in particular um, on, on, on Saturday. I don't think it was necessary. I don't think it was even possible to have seen that. So uh, difficult to predict which way that would go. Uh, the, the only thing I would say is that I think even though they are two points clear now, uh, and even though I think a, a Bayern Munich team under Nagelsmann would probably have won on, on Saturday, I do think a Nagelsmann Bayern would have another couple of slip-ups in them between now and the end of the season. Mm. Um, I'm a fan of Nagelsmann's. Um, I think he's a good coach and I think his time will come. Um, I'm equally, I'm, I'm an even bigger fan of Thomas Tuchel. Um, and I think the fact that he showed in such a short, short space of time at Chelsea, how quickly and how decisively he can deliver results, you know, and he's he's a, a proven winner, a proven success story at the top at the top top level. Um, I, I I can't see them slipping up. Certainly not in the Bundesliga. I, I think the, the the game against Manchester City will be a particular test for him. That would be that would be a fascinating one to watch, especially if it seems that Pep Guardiola has found a way to to win without Erling Haaland and perhaps even mm. be you know perhaps even be be better without Erling Haaland as a as a big number nine. Mm. Uh, so that'd be an interesting challenge to see how Tuchel makes up to that. But in terms of the Bundesliga, um, yeah, uh, uh, unfortunately for uh, any Borussia Dortmund fans listening, uh, I still see them slipping up as, as slightly more likely, especially because their running is tougher as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it. Um, all right. Speaking of coaches, Stefan, you will be maybe rejoicing. <laughs> 
that your favorite club for VfB Stuttgart has once again sacked their head coach. Um, Bruno Labbadia is gone and it was a quick turnaround. Sebastian Hoen is the new head coach. I know you have a lot of thoughts on both. Um, so I'm going to dedicate the segment to you. <laughs> hey, it doesn't even have to be a segment. It's simply a case of saying, I told you so. Um, <laughs> and no, of course not. Like, it was a bizarre appointment in the first place. Uh, it hasn't worked out at all. And, you know, my thoughts on the way Stuttgart have conducted themselves this season are well documented in the show that mm. it's just kind of beggar's belief. Uh, and I've got a lot of sympathy for Stuttgart fans because, you know, it's not fair on them. And I wrote an article, like I think I said this on Twitter over the weekend, I wrote an article when they appointed Bruno Labbadia and I kind of said, and it was a critique of Stuttgart, not to rile up fans, but to try and, I was actually in defence of the fans because it, they, it felt to me like Stuttgart had fallen into that very modern Bundesliga trap of becoming a club that just develops youth players to sell to the Premier League without any real key sporting ambition behind it and mm. I think that's what's kind of tripped up Stuttgart in his last two or three seasons where they have had impressive squads um, and obviously Matarazzo did a decent job with them but each summer one or two players get chipped away there's at least two or three players in this team who are desperate to leave in the summer and you know, I think if you compare that to a club like Schalke right now, who you can see are working their socks off every single week to try and stay in the division, the fans are behind them. They're not a squad full of young players who have no connection to the club or interest really in even where the club plays its football next season. It's a lot of kind of journeymen. It's a lot of senior players. A lot of mm. I don't want to say, I don't want to say German players because it doesn't really matter if they're German or local or anything. But it's a lot of players who understand the situation Schalke are in. Uh, and I just find that more appealing as a neutral. And I think fans probably appreciate it more too. And I don't know if that makes me kind of um, orthodox or, you know, old fashioned or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, that was that was my critique of Stuttgart at the time. Having said all that, I think Sebastian Honus is a really talented head coach. Um, I think Hoffenheim's demise since he left has proved that point. Uh, I'm really intrigued that he's taken up this role at this point, maybe with maybe he thinks he can even if they get relegated he can still decent, do a decent job mm. there next season but uh, he's the head coach they probably should have appointed in January whether he can do anything about it now I guess we'll have to wait and see yes of course a bit of a family connection there with his father Dieter Hoeneß having been a sporting director there so maybe that played a little bit of a role but uh, Matt before we wrap this up your thoughts on this I think um, not much to add to to what uh, Stefan was saying about um, the way the Stuttgart have progressed or well or re regressed in mm -hmm. recent years, but they just look at the bigger picture. The Stuttgart are an absolutely classic example of these huge, big, traditional, historic German football clubs who um, just can't seem to get the management structures and, the, and streamlined management strategies right. Um, mm. Whether it's a case of simply too many cooks spoiling the broth <laughs> at, um, at, at at a club, because you, know, you, you don't see it at Stuttgart, you see it at you know, Cologne, a perfect example from time to time. Schalke, oh, as well. you mentioned, have, have, have been the the absolute yeah. prime example of that in, in, in recent years. Um, it unfortunately is um, a negative side of the way these huge German football clubs are run. Um, they are run on semi on a semi-democratic basis. Um, 
there is an awful lot of politicking that goes on around these clubs, particularly in a location such as Stuttgart, where mm. the regional business interests have always been so, so, so closely entwined with the club. Um, you know, the big industry in the southwest of Germany being the, the, effectively the centre of the German automobile industry, um, Mercedes and the like, uh, have always had their own political and industrial interests in, in, in Valfby Stuttgart. Um, the irony is, I mean, Stefan mentioned before the, how Stuttgart did build a reputation for themselves as... Um, a good academy, um, a, a good producer of youth talents. Um, we've just spoken a lot about Joshua Kimmich, haven't we? Also came mm. originally came through Stuttgart. Mm. Um, in in recent years, it was actually Thomas Hitzelsberger who was running up. Um, who who was heading up Stuttgart's youth academy academy before quickly making a move, perhaps prematurely into uh, into the higher. The higher hierarchies, mm. high, higher up the club, um, before himself falling victim to the to the various political intrigues that which which go on around the club. Um, nowadays, I think Sami Kadeva is back at the club in some sort yeah. of role. His precise role escapes me for the time for the time being. Um, yeah, it, 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 like I said, it it's very much. Uh, for all the positives that we talk, that the German football fans talk about, with you know the the fifty plus one rule and. Um, you know, member influence and a degree of democratic uh, organization in these clubs. It, it also means that you have a lot of people involved with lots of different interests and um, it, that can sometimes come at the expense of clear professional management, which uh, yeah leads to the sort of crises which we seem to constantly see at Stuttgart, at Hamburg, at Schalke, at Cologne, mm. you, you name it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that you, you guys summed it up really well. And unfortunately, we are almost out of time because we could probably do an entire podcast just on that mega clubs in German football and how they're kind of sometimes in their own way with the, the structures that they have put in place. But um, as I said, Matt, I think if we open that, that uh, can of worms, we'll hear all day. And unfortunately, we don't have that much time left, but we'll have to bring you back. Um, I think that's the solution here. Um, as always, the show is brought to you by Bet Online. But before we wrap this up, Matt, where can people find you, and um, what are you working on? Um, my the best place to find me is on is on is on Twitter, I suppose. So Matt underscore four D. Um, my work's on on Deutsche Welle DW, um, and yeah, my immediate focus is well, Borussia Dortmund's next fixture. Um, I should be there on on this upcoming. Saturday, I believe it is, home to Union, um, a game which is taken on even bigger, uh, even greater importance now, mm. given um, Union's big win over yeah over Stuttgart <laughs> <laughs> um, at, um, at the weekend. They're now they're now looking extremely good for a Champions League place, um, and Borussia mm. Dortmund are now in a in a yeah a must win situation, aren't they? So that uh, that probably be my my next uh, my next immediate focus. Yeah, fantastic. Great match. I'm really looking forward to that one, I think. I have to also remember, um, Stefan, it's the DFB Pokal this week. Um, some mm -hmm. really good fixtures in that. And we're, we're probably going to do um, at least one podcast this week on that, right? Um, mm -hmm. Sort of recapping the, the DFB Pokal fixtures. And then, of course, we're back with the normal transfer show. Um, your Substack, my Substack. Anything you want to add before we wrap this up? No, just the usual. Thanks everyone who subscribes to the podcast, everyone who subscribes to the Substack. Um, 
And as always, let us know what you guys think in the comments below. I had a really good time kind of talking to some people after the game uh, yeah. under my article uh, full time. And of course, great to have Matt on the show. And let us know if you'd like to have him, if you'd like to have if you'd like us to have him back on. Is what I'm trying to <laughs> mutter out of my mouth. But of course, we definitely will. Uh, and yeah, you're saying you're saying that, but you told me to turn my camera off earlier, so you can't be that keen on seeing me. No, no, we're definitely going to have Matt back. He's excellent, um, and Matt, thank you so much for coming on, Matt. <laughs> the re- yeah, Matt, you, the you, reason the, you the say reason, that now, but it's my pleasure. The reason that Manu and I don't have the cameras on when we record this show is because we speak to each other more than we speak to our respective wives, and I think having to look at each other as well is probably too much. Oh uh, yeah, no, we yeah, have, yeah. your your words, not mine, lads. But yeah, it was a it was a pleasure. Thanks a lot. <laughs> because we not only have this podcast, we also have the transfer mark stuff and meetings every week. So yeah, um, I made this joke. Um, actually, I phoned. I was phoning home when you stayed with my parents, and my mom asked me if I wanted to talk to you, Stefan. I said no. I talked to him enough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, um, we'll be back soon with another show. Thanks for thanks for listening. Until next time, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge? It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcast. Yes.